Hello, welcome to the Crownsman Show. I'm your host, Jared Downey. Joining me is Gaudi Molina. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Okay, so <laughs> I um, I try to tell guests. Uh-huh. You look at me like I think I'm going to say something crazy. No, no, no <laughs> nothing wacky. Um, I always try to tell guests get videos. Yeah. And but unfortunately, usually there's not a time frame for them. Right. Our guest today, Ground Force Worldwide, has videos of their facility, of their equipment in operation. It's absolutely beautiful, so I'm very excited to have them on the show. Uh, They are a manufacturer of mining support equipment, and I like that term as well. Um, (laughs) Luke Stavros is the president, so we get to to talk to the guy at the the head of the ship. So lots to cover. Gowdy, before we do any of that... Who's sponsoring us today? (laughs) All right. So today we have Precision Bolting. Precision Bolting's products have been a trusted solution for over 35 years, used by hundreds of clients across all industries, including major heavy equipment manufacturers. Equipment like mining trucks to shovels, pumps to conveyors, turbines to heat exchangers are only a few. Precision Bolting should be the first call for anyone anyone wanting to address difficult bolting issues, including a a range of of kitted bolting solutions used around the world. Precision bolting's values of safer, sooner, and stronger become immediately obvious. Give their team a call, connect with them on LinkedIn, or visit them at precisionbolting.com and miningkitsolutions.com. You can also catch their um, episode uh, featuring their president, Ken Gamroth, on The Crownsman Show. And speaking of the Crownsman Show, don't forget to sponsor or sorry, to subscribe to our YouTube channel um, and be a part of the show. You can contact us info at crownsman.com to be a guest. Um, And last but not least, Power Zone. When you need a specialized team of world class engineers for your oil and gas pipelines, dewatering or any fluid handling needs, you want to visit powerzone.com. In addition to their inventory of rebuilt pumps, motors, engines, they also have an amazing team to design and engineer your systems no matter the challenge no matter the location get in the zone with power zone visit them at powerzone.com all righty okay thank you <laughs> you're welcome okay luke welcome to the show excited to have you on i'm uh, i've got a special place in my heart for anything mining related especially when it gets to the 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 big stuff that's on these sites so glad to have you on the show hey happy to be here thank you very much uh, let's try to do that quick coverage. We're going to dig in. You've got lots of videos. We're going to show your manufacturing facility. Um, but what, what is, what is, what are you delivering to customers? Well, we, we build and design and sell, uh, mining, you know, solutions, uh, mostly in the range of, uh, support equipment. Uh, we deal, uh, in the range of, uh, fuel lube, water solutions, cable reel type handling systems and a few other, you know, custom, you know, type products specifically related to heavy duty mining applications around the world. Yeah. I was noticing there's quite a range. Um, like when I'm looking at your, at your, uh, what are they called? The, the lube trucks and that there's quite a range of size on the lower end. Is that, could those be used in other applications? Um, or is everything you build, um, in that mining, uh, commercial grade level? Everything is built for a mining type application, but there is definitely some crossover that goes into a construction application or two contractors. Most of those customers actually do contract mining type work. So in some way, shape or form, it ends up being, you know, in a, in a mining type application or a heavy duty construction application. 
I, uh, I actually got on to ground force, um, because I saw there was a, on LinkedIn, there was a post, it was a, a giant, uh, rock box or truck rock box. Wow. Um, yeah. with a giant Canadian flag. Um, you're actually an American company, but you're servicing a lot of, uh, Canadian clients as well. Is that right? Absolutely. I'd say on an average year, we probably, we do more business um, in Canada than we do actually in the U S uh, market. But yeah, that was a fun project. Uh, I imagine we're going to talk about that a little bit, but yeah, to be able to take a, uh, a 250 ton size dump body in a mindset application, and put a massive, you know, Canadian uh, flag emblem on the side, both sides of that body was, was pretty spectacular. We got, we got a lot of, uh, Hits on social media from I that, bet. <laughs> including yeah. for me. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, is that it? Kind of led me to a, to a question I was wondering about a company like yours, and I'm always curious when I see you know companies that manufacture just just stuff <clears throat> big. Um, is it how much of it is pre-manufactured and how much is custom? Like for instance, that rock, that rock box, is that? did you get specs for that or is that a standard for that, uh, for that machine? Like where does it sort of land? You know, we've been in business for a little over 30 years. And when we first started, uh, we kind of prided ourselves on, you know, everything was custom. Um, but over the years we've learned that that doesn't always lend itself to a high level of credibility and confidence in our, in our customers, especially when you're talking about, you know, something as critical and as rugged as a mindset application. So they like to know that you've got repeatability, you've got consistency with the designs. And so over the years, we've developed, you know, what we call our big five product line. And we have standard configurations and layouts for everything. But there's always that somewhere between 10 to 20% customization that's really important for us and our customers um, so that they feel like they've got, we're really speaking to their needs uh, because not all mindsets are created equal and there are different you know, mindset, you know, needs and specifications that are required. Um, and we do our best to, to listen to our customers and meet those needs. So I'd say in general, we're about 80% standard and 20% custom. When did you start really doing that, that pivoting to, to developing more standard? Um, because it does make sense, especially for these major yeah. operations that you, you yeah. need standardized products or else they just, they can't yeah. commit to them. They got to know it's going to be the right thing. Uh, that the exact same thing that they got last time. Yeah. Um, when did that, when did you, I guess, first become aware and when did that pivot start happening to make sure uh, that you could sur- yeah. su- surprise, provide that pre-manufactured product? Yeah, I would say it was uh, about 15 years ago, we developed the standard for every product line. You know, up until that point we were developing, you know, it was all one-off type stuff. So it was the very first you know, 240 ton size fuel lube truck or the very first 320 ton size dump body for us. And so it was truly custom because we hadn't built one before, but I'd say in the last 15 years, you know, we've really done well with standardizing all the product lines. Does that, does it, some of that carry over? It's a, you know, it's an old industry that some of these mines do, do some people still not realize that you do have those product lines or is the industry, is, is it pretty well known now? It's pretty well known now. Yeah. You know, I'd say about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, where there wasn't a lot of competition in some of the areas that we, that we, uh, we dabble in. Um, but say there's, there's good competition, you know, globally. So we've really got to be on our toes. Yeah. Well, it's good. Makes the products better for everybody at the end. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, the, 
have there is there products? I want to get into some of your standardized products, but you've you've also done some innovative products. Um, you've got some videos that I was watching. Is there sort of one that stands out for you that's sort of the the flagship of of where you've innovated as a as a company? I'd say we're most known globally uh, for building you know the world's finest uh, fuel lube trucks and water tank solutions for dust you know suppression applications there. But I would say most notably um, in the last five years from an innovation standpoint would be our rock spreaders. Um, and you know, the rock spreader business for us is something that uh, is primarily in colder applications. We do a ton of business in uh, the stand countries. We call it the CIS market also in Russia. Uh, we're now, uh, we've got several bodies like this that are operating in Canada, both Western and Eastern Canada. And we've got some big projects that are on the go right now. But these are, you know, ultra class size mining trucks converted over to what we call rock spreaders or haul road conditioning units. And basically, uh, the principle is simple. Um, you load the bodies uh, with a, uh, a pre-screened and washed crushed material, and you dispense it on the haul roads through two different chutes or two different chutes, uh, and they feed the rear drive tires, so you get traction on the mine sites. But you're also doing uh, what typically would take three machines, and you're doing it with essentially one. So the efficiency gains and the return on investment is huge for for our customers. What uh, I hope I hope this isn't too tricky of a question. What what makes one rock spreader better than the other? Is it is, how do you standardize it? That amount amount it spreads the efficiency that it it uh, <laughs> that it delivers the material out uh, doesn't get clogged. Like sort of what is what is the standard of quality? Yeah, I'd say that a good question. There's a lot that, that factors into that. Like I said before, if you have the opportunity to eliminate, you know, one or two pieces of equipment that would typically be required to do a job and you can handle it with one, you've got less capitalized costs, you've got less, you know, maintenance, you have less operators. And so the efficiency gains and the return on that investment start to calculate and scale pretty, pretty darn quickly. And so those are the things that we look at. But we always do a site evaluation with our customers. So we want to get, you know, get onto the site, understand current practices. And sometimes our solutions aren't the right solution you know, for that particular customer. So we're not all things to everybody. But in those environments where um, they, they are maybe lacking in some of those efficiency gains, uh, we want to bring those to them through our products. Um, you're going to find some layman questions if you've ever watched any of the show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they do come up. Yeah, and I've got to wonder that when you're that's attaching to a rock truck, obviously. Um, so when that process starts, do they buy one specifically for what you're going to put on it? Or do you do you have different sizes so that they have uh, a rock truck that they're going to convert? Mm -hmm. like what is there sort of a standard procedure? Yeah, for the most part, our bodies would go on, especially the rock spreaders would go on to an existing chassis that's at the mine site. And one of the things that we do, we use the same operating control system for our water tankers as we do our rock spreaders. And so they're interchangeable based on season you know, requirements and applications. So in theory, and most customers run it this way, is they'll, they'll run our water tanks in the summertime in the colder shoulder seasons or in the winter months, they'll run the rock spreader. And so that chassis, that asset, that rolling stock, if you will, for the, for the customer is continually you know, being utilized in an effective way at the mine site. That's interesting. So, uh, yeah, I, I, maybe it wasn't a terrible question, actually, because I thought yeah, that no, was a great question. Answer. Yeah, exactly. Okay, <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about your main product line, Luke, just yeah. because I think um, 
it's easy on these interviews and I get a little obsessed with a certain topic and then I'll just go, go at it. And, but you do, you're doing so many product lines. I don't want that to happen. So you kind of already touched on, you've kind of got four or five, what are the main ones? And then let's talk about each one of those for a little bit. Sure. I would say that uh, over 80% of our business is film lube, water, uh, dump bodies, and the rock spritters. And the fifth product line that we have, um, which is probably closer to 10% or less of our business would be the cable handlers. But the big four, if you will, would be fuel lube, water, uh, dump bodies, and the rock spreaders. So that, that would be the, the landing spot. I was, looking at the, uh, I was looking at the fuel lube solutions and yeah. I noticed on one link there was, it said, well, the, the URL is actually rigid frame fuel lube trucks. And so I'm assuming rigid is something to do with strength. So is there even though it's all for mining, is there different, is there different types of bodies based on like, is it different environments that they're going to be in or how do you sort of rate what, uh, what tank goes where? Yeah. So the rigid frame trucks could be an ultra class, you know, mining size truck, but it could also be an over the highway called a class eight type truck. So a Western starred Peterbilt Kenworth. And we certainly build a fair share of those, but what we're most known for is building, you know, ultra class, you know, converting ultra-class mining trucks, we'll say 150 ton size all the way up to 240 ton size, converting that truck into a fuel move module, which would go into you know, the operations of a mine site and then be the primary uh, fueling and lubing uh, distribution unit uh, for the haul truck fleet and also for some of the support equipment. So that would be the rigid frame size truck. The articulated chassis uh, by far is our number one seller. We built more than 300, roughly 350 units in the last um, last 20 years, and they operate in about 70 different countries. So that's our global wow. spread wow. as uh, as a global company. But um, and those articulated chassis are very nimble, very versatile. Um, they can get around in some very soft and undulating underfoot conditions. And so we basically tap into the advantages that the major OEMs like Caterpillar and Komatsu have already designed into those truck chassis. And we just take those trucks and give them a different application. So the mine sites are used to running those types of trucks anyway. So there's parts commonality, you know, the operators know how to, 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 to utilize and, and, and drive and operate those vehicles. We just give them a second life or a different application. And uh, there's a safety factor there also that, that plays in. Um, the, on something like this, um, there's this the pre-manufactured and then uh, you know 20 years ago it was primarily custom <clears throat> now there's some yeah. pre-manufactured element with some customization but does the product line change like the fuel lube solutions five years ago um, is it different <clears throat> than it was it is today or does that standardized hold up as as technology continues to evolve uh, there's definitely some elements that are different um, I would say uh, trucks are generally speaking bigger today and uh, the mine sites continue to expand their footprint in the number of vehicles um, that are operating in a mine site and so as that continues as the rigid frame trucks retire out of an operations fleet you know we'll convert that over to you know a fuel lube or even to a water tank so i would say in general um, our truck bodies continue to get larger and there's more of them at the mine sites the articulated trucks you know, primarily stay in the same, you know, they're, they're primarily servicing dozers, 
graders, they're running around the mine sites constantly getting into some softer, um, you know, more challenging underfoot conditions. Right. Uh, but in the operations side of the business, trucks are getting bigger, and so are we. The on the water solutions side, um, it's I, I've kind of got a new interest of it. I, we had um, we featured Nelco Water on, and they're providing <clears throat> these these solutions um, for bringing down dust and things like yeah. that, you know, chemical solutions and all that. I just, mm -hmm. I would assume these water solutions, that is part of it as well. They're actually using yeah. to spread chemicals to keep the dust down consistently and things like that. Is that right? You know, for us, we haven't really gotten too much into the chemical application other than a fire foam type of a system, which a lot of our tanks have on it for um, acting as a first responder. Um, but for the most part, it's just, you know, traditional, you know, dust suppression by putting water on the haul roads. Right. Um, but we have, um, you know, water utilization is, is very critical. You know, there's a shortage of water um, in most mine sites, as you can imagine, doing business in, in uh, some of the remote parts of the world that we do. You know, in some places, there's not very much water at all. And so we have to be very conscious about water delivery and how much we're putting on the ground. And so we have some innovative solutions there with ground speed delivery systems and water monitoring and tracking metering systems so that we can monitor a very precise amount of water. And that's critical because you can also cause a safety hazard by putting too much water on the ground yeah. in certain areas. And so it's very it's a very precise um, application and uh, that's something we're very proud of. On units like that, if you're going on to a mine, um, I mean, obviously there's not a standard. Some, some need more, some need less, but do you ever just yeah. sell one? Or, or these units, is it always multiple units when you're looking at, you know, water and, and, th and those types of things, lube, all, all the, that standard of product line? Um, is it always three, four units at least? I would say that um, most are multiple, um, but there are some transactions, if you will, that are a single unit. Um, but thankfully, we have very, very, you know, high level of customer satisfaction. And so, it might take five, six, seven, you know, eight, nine, ten years, and then we'll get another repeat business, uh, a repeat order at that particular mine site. So I'd say most are, you know, there's there are multiple transactions. Well, you you said the cable reel handlers were not. I think you said what you said about ten percent of your business. Yeah, it's it's a little bit smaller percent of our business. Um, yep. But does it? But there, I mean that every site must need that as well. Um, so do, are they getting coupled with a lot of projects? Um, so there maybe you don't need 20 uh, uh, like you do for the water solution, but you do need one or two, or, or is that is that the reason? Or is it just you're more known for the water and the and the, the, the lube delivery? Yeah, cable handlers are, are primarily for managing uh, trailing cable on electric rope shovels. And so not every mine site has an electric rope shovel. A lot of them have hydraulic shovels. And so, you know, that would be a limiting factor for us. Um, whereas the other product lines carry over regardless, doesn't right. matter what type of a loading tool that they use, they all need fuel, they all need water and all that type of stuff. Um, so there's a limiting factor based on, you know, equipment that are, that are used there. Um, internationally, it's a product that there's a, there's a lot of, you know, strong local uh, designs, a lot of mine sites develop their own and do it that way um and um yeah so it's just there's some limiting factors there right one of the limiting factors that i was curious about um again i, I do want to take a moment to talk about your facility in a bit yeah was just this sheer size of the units that you're shipping um are these 
do these always get shipped out? I, I looked, I was looking on your website. It looks like they're leaving your facility completely already made. So is that getting, I mean, you're shipping all over the world. Is that getting delivered that way or, or do some of them get pieced together on site? I'd say about uh, 80% of what we build ships out in one piece, uh, 20% is compartmentalized. And so we'll typically, you know, build it uh, all in one piece, uh, but it will be designed um, with the integral factor to be, you know, broken down into three or four or five different pieces, you know, for international transport. But for North America, primarily everything that we do uh, is shipped out in one piece, which makes for pretty cool uh, you know, pictures and videos, you know, going across the highway, like you saw. And a, and a slow ride when you get behind one <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, uh, we had uh Kayla in manufacturing and they, they do, they built the, the chassis and all that to haul these big, big, yeah. uh, manufactured products to all these sites. It's pretty wild. Um, what goes into yeah. actually making just the trailers to be able to haul these, these things. Um, yeah. you're, as a global company, like how often, if you're dealing, and maybe there's an example you could come up with, um, it, it, how often are you putting together, you know, three, four year product lines, and then, you know, doing <clears throat> investment, figuring out what they need, manufacturing, and then shipping it globally? Um, is it mm -hmm. usually one product, or are you uh, are there examples where you're using three or four year product lines to just one customer? Yeah, I mean, to give you a, a couple specific examples, that dump body that you saw delivered to a customer in Western Canada, you know, we put a fleet of uh, 18 of those bodies together for that particular customer. Wow. But they also were uh, customers of ours for fuel lube, water, and rock spreaders. And so out of the five core, you know, product lines that we build, they were customers for four out of the five, you know, and when it was all said and done, you know, we, I think we built maybe 25 pieces of equipment for them this last year. In uh, Western Africa was a big part of our business this last year also. And we had one customer that we built 16 products for. So, yeah, it, you know, and in that 16 product line uh, or that 16 count uh, order, I think we had three different uh, product lines established there. When you're dealing with something, because it's such a, you're, you're right in the heart of, of what their business is doing. Is, is there a, a lot of developing a relationship beforehand or something like West Africa? Are they, are, are they Googling and you come up and then they reach out? Or, I mean, what's the process of something? I mean, that's a huge investment for them. Mm -hmm. a huge reliance on that you're going to deliver on time and be able yeah. to ship it and all this. There's so much. I, I used to work in equipment. So I, I, yeah. I know, and you're even dealing with bigger stuff than I ever dealt with. Yeah. So where does that relationship even start for something like that? Well, sometimes those relationship takes, you know, years to establish, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and in the past that's been through, you know, a lot of travel. We have a very capable and competent, you know, sales team here and product support team that does an incredible job of reaching the ends of the earth and, and going out and traveling, you know, sometimes, you know, 70, 80% of the time. Uh, so they make a lot of sacrifices you know, for our organization, for our company and for the betterment of their family, you know, be able to provide for them. But, you know, relationship-based selling is, is primarily, you know, the difference maker for us. Sometimes those deals take, you know, three or four or five years to establish and sometimes they're much quicker. Um, but relationships by far are the number one key to our success, our uh, relationships with our customers. 
but it's also supported and backed with an incredible product line that's you know designed very integral. We've got a great reputation, um, and we have the ability to support our products incredibly well uh, with parts and service. So you put all that together, and and that's really what makes up you know what we call the ground force difference. You know, you're I we we don't know each other that well, but I've I've got a chance to talk to you a couple times and just sort of see that there. You're, you come across as someone who's very confident in your team and your product lines, but there's still, in, in your business, it is such such a big order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what yeah. I mean by that is in our, in, in our business, if somebody says no to doing a show for us, we've got 10 other people we're talking to that are going to mm-hmm. jump on board. So we have to yeah. work really hard to do it, but there's so many opportunities to win. Mm-hmm. Whereas in yeah. your business, you don't have a thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what, how do you sort of deal with that pressure as a leader? You know, you've got people, I just did a show earlier this morning talking about the responsibility of leaders and how do you deal with that pressure? Because there's no way there isn't that pressure when you're Mm -hmm. an order of 20 units is a huge order. Um, How do you approach that? Well, market share is really important for us. Um, you know, and in a challenging year like this last year for everybody globally, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't a lot of new developing, you know, mindsets and operations. So what do you do? You focus on some of the business that uh, maybe you're losing to some of your competitors. And so you go after, um, you know, you go on an aggressive campaign to take over market share. Thankfully, um, you know, we've got great reputation, you know, globally, and we've got, uh, you know, sales a sales team that's competent and they understand where those markets are. And we did what we call old school selling, dialing for dollars. We picked up the phone, we contacted customers. We did a ton of Zoom calls, Teams calls. We, we stayed in front of our customers this last year and we'll continue to do that moving forward. Um, so it's just knowing where those opportunities are uh, and staying in front of it. We have incredible relationships with, you know, Komatsu and Caterpillar at the corporate level. So we're in tune with where you know, the developing operations are, you know, globally. And so we can kind of follow their lead and, and move that direction. Uh, and we work with the distributor base, you know, primarily through, you know, the Caterpillar and the Komatsu dealers as well. And so we, they're an extension of us. And so that also yields um, success maybe through, uh, you know, some challenging times. Right. What part of it do you enjoy the most, Luke? The, is it maintain those relationships, even those, those challenging times, you enjoy that sort of, sort of rising to the occasion? I, I find so much of it rewarding. Um, you know, my background is primarily in, in sales and customer interface. And so, you know, I enjoy, you know, earning business, you know, the old fashioned way, um, you know, competing against our, you know, our competitors who are very capable and they're smart and they're innovative and all that type of stuff. And so, um, you know, we don't necessarily keep score, but when we win the deal, that's something that we celebrate. Yeah. Um, I also enjoy, you know, the, uh, the heart of our business here, which is the manufacturing side and the relationships. We've got uh, 115 employees here. We've got a beautiful facility. And um, I, I know each and every one of our employees by name. I know their families, know their background. Uh, we care about our employees. We love our employees. We love our community. So um, when we have success, uh, we also give back to our community. And so I'd say, you know, I, I enjoy and I love all aspects of our business that way. 
Yeah, it, it's it's amazing what you're doing out there, um, and switching over to the facility. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that manufacturing, um, the manufacturing side of it? Because uh, two questions, uh, just general: What is your facility? You know, you know the sort of the. Uh, I, I see that there's all these overhead cranes, and then there's it. it we'll bring the video up to show it. Um, yeah. But then part two of that is how do you do orders sort of all come in at once and how do you deal with that? And is your facility equipped to deal with that sort of that backlog that, that must happen in your business? Yeah. Um, we're definitely not order takers. You know, when we, when we earn the business and we win the business, you know um, we have to play, you know, the game of trying to figure out, you know, where it's going to fit in the production schedule. So, yeah. you know, for a company like us, you know, a company might have uh, six months or longer with a backlog of business. But you want to capitalize on every one of those opportunities. And so there is definitely a, a shuffling around, you know, and trying to, you know, figure out staffing levels appropriately to be able to manage, you know, the workload, um, you know, hiring people, training people, there's a cost to doing all of that. And so uh, we've got a, we have a very capable, competent team here, a world-class team, I think, in uh, being able to put all that together. So it's not easy, uh, but we get it done and uh, happy to do it. Um, what about location? Because you're kind of, uh, you're kind of, you're in the U S but you're right on the Canadian border, essentially. Is that right? Yeah, we're in a beautiful town, um, uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, if you're in Western Canada, in Calgary, Edmonton, Fort McMurray, and so forth, uh, you get our local news, Spokane, Washington would, would be the nearest, you know, large city, um, Schweitzer ski resort. We have beautiful golf courses around here. So it's a great place to raise a family, a great place to uh, to, to run, operate, and own a business. Uh, so yeah, Coeur d'Alene is where we are, real close to the border. So, and is that uh, how is that as a location for just for just the distribution of your product once you get these orders and you're putting them out? Um, is that is that sort of right in the spot where you can? Is there any limitations when it's in uh, you know way out in eastern U.S. or Canada, or is that it, once? with the size and scope of these, is that not really a factor like shipping and things like that? It can be. I mean, anytime you're, you're talking about, um, you know, uh, you know, a, a long, a greater distance than, you know, maybe, um, you know, three or 400 miles, it starts to be problematic when you're talking about larger loads, but that's when we break, you know, the loads down into two or three or four, you know, multi-piece configuration to get that cost down. And then we bridge that gap and we supplement that with some field labor to be able to go out and put the thing together. Mm -hmm. And we have some creative uh, discounting, you know, measures to be able to take care of that. So I'd say if, if you were, if you were asking me, could you pick a place that would be better regionally located to service Canada and the U S market? I would say yeah. no. Yeah, no, I was looking at it on the map and I was like, that's, that's pretty good. And then yeah. what, like ports and that, what would be the closest ports for you when you're dealing with like uh, Western Africa and places like Russia yeah. and those kind of places? Uh, we ship out of uh, Seattle, Tacoma, Washington, and also Houston. Those would be the two, two primary ports that we ship out of. The, the business like, like this, um, is it, when you say you have deal uh, relationships with uh, companies like Caterpillar and Komatsu, mm -hmm. and, and then you're, so you've, how much the specifications, how much is coming from your design, the customer, the, the manufacturing, uh, the manufacturer of the trucks, you know, how does that mm -hmm. all come together? Because that in itself is, is sort of a fascinating process. 
Yeah, our bodies, 100% of the design is ours. We control the intellectual property. But when you partner with Caterpillar and Komatsu, uh, the design of our bodies has to be integral to the truck chassis and its original design intent. So they have what they call application guides. And uh, we have non-disclosures and agreements signed with both. And so there's a free flow of information going back and forth all the time on our body designs and their chassis designs. So we make sure that the weight distribution, you know, the safety factors and all that type of stuff are, are, are baked into the design so that we're never compromising, you know, the integrity of the truck chassis. So there's definitely some consulting going back and forth, but uh, our body designs are 100% ours um, and we control that. Yeah, it's um, uh, the last question as we wrap up the interview. In this in this environment where you know, I, I think out in out in your out in your location, um, it's you're not you're not really having to you know put the, the masks on and do that whole thing. Um, but of course, you're dealing with regions that are have a lot of restrictions mm-hmm. on them. Um, has that been a challenge for your business? Is it actually provided an opportunity? Um, to find different ways to communicate with everyone, sort of what, what's that process been like, just to, just to wrap things up? Yeah, I'd say um, it's definitely, it's been different, um, but I think that we've navigated it very well. And I think, I think most companies in our business have as well. Um, there was probably the first, you know, four to eight weeks where everybody was trying to figure out, okay, oh my gosh, are we going to be able to travel again or not? Or how are we going to communicate with our customers and some some customers just, you know, cut off all communication with their suppliers. And so thankfully we weren't in that particular boat, but we know that there were some that were out there. Um, I guess the saving grace in it all was everybody was faced with the same challenges and the exact same solutions. If it was just us saying, Hey, we got to find a way to, you know, cut some costs. And so we're just going to stop traveling and all that type of stuff. That would be very problematic because all of our competitors and everybody else in the industry would be doing it the traditional ways. But in this particular case, we're all in the same exact boat. And I think that we used it to our advantage. And, um, you know, I'm probably on, you know, I'd say no less than five and as many as uh, 10, you know, calls a day with customers and clients and suppliers and some of our business partners. And I know that the rest of our team here does the exact same thing. So um, we tried to not skip a beat and uh, just maintain, you know, eye contact and, and uh, frontage with our customers and continue to seed those relationships. Yeah, it's, um, and we're hearing a lot. Uh, we, we realized on the show that anybody who comes on, they're sort of, they, they're sort of have that fight back mentality um, to find yeah. a way to do it. And we noticed that, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking people. I just, I've noticed that a lot of people <laughs> that have no interest in sort of looking at the show yeah. and I, I see that they're really they're <clears throat> almost the most disgruntled with the challenges that are, that are here but then i noticed a correlation a lot of people that you know like like jody um who i originally connected with from your company and thank you jody for setting everything up um you know there's just that openness and that sort of that I, I, for lack of a better word that fight back mentality is that something you have on on, on purpose, or is it something you consciously, when things like this happen, I'm sure other challenges have happened over the year, do you make a conscious choice or is that just sort of instinctive? Like, okay, we got to pivot and we got to push even harder. I'd say it's, it's primarily instinctive. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we have, um, I think we have a, an incredible team here that, that wants to win um, in so many aspects of the business, not just, 
you know, earning sales and winning the business that way, but we want to be successful with um, the overall organization and business. So if it's labor hours, if it's material cost and hitting those two things, you know, every single time, if it's, you know, you know, growing certain segments of the business, um, we measure um, the finite, you know, details of our business on a regular basis. And so it's not just revenue streams, but it's the cost areas as well. And so I think that we've got a, an incredible senior leadership team here that leads by example. Uh, it takes a lot of pride and ownership in, uh, in what they're doing. And one of our core values, you know, of our organization is continuous improvement. And, um, and so that's what we're striving for on a, on a regular basis. Well, it, uh, from obviously from the outside looking in, it seems like you're accomplishing that. Um, and uh, if you ever get any more chances to paint giant flags on anything um, yep. it really catches the eye <laughs> so we did not yeah we, we do australian flags and we don't discriminate we've done uh, breast cancer uh different cancer awarenesses and stuff like that uh, uh you, you know it, it doesn't matter you, you tell us what you want on there we have a very creative team uh led by jody and her department that uh, put those diet designs together on all of our bodies so it's pretty cool Someone's going to hear that. And yeah. they're going to, oh, really? Well, I'd like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Luke, thank you very much for coming on the show. I, uh, I, I genuinely love this kind of product line, the manufacturing side. Um, we've fortunately been able to do more manufacturing. I don't think we could ever do enough. It's really interesting stuff. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, please keep all, up all the good work that your team is doing, um, especially on social media. It's fun following your company. Outstanding. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And uh, you guys have a, have a great day. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. Okay. That sounds exciting because now I want, <laughs> can we get like the crownsman show? <laughs> yeah. 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 Some of our partners, we need, to, we need to get in there and get someone to be like, yeah, well, I'm trying to think of any advantage they would have to putting our logo on. Probably anyway. nothing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, Gowdy, where can people follow, like, subscribe, suggest guests, make comments, um, whatever, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Um, well, subscribe to our YouTube channel um, so you don't miss this episode or any of the other upcoming episodes. And you can always watch our previous episodes. Um, and uh, we, we've got new ones coming up two a week. Um, again, trying to grow from two to like 10 joking <laughs> not 10, 10. <laughs> um and follow us on facebook and linkedin and also contact us if you want to be a sponsor be a guest or you would like to uh, suggest a guest info at crownsman.com perfect thank you gowdy and we'll also have links and tags for ground force worldwide love what they're doing as a company make sure to follow them on linkedin and uh you know he said it uh suggest things to put on sides of trucks okay <laughs> thank you everybody we'll see you on the next episode of the crownsman show <laughs>